Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews since 1996. I have over 4,000 you can read there at that website, Quipster.net. That's Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast, similar to this one, maybe a little bit less trivia, a little bit more review. It is called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. It covers films that are out in theaters right now, VOD, streaming services. You can find all the details at my website, quipster.net. Today I'm going to be looking at a pretty big hit for the mid-1980s. It is the second part of our three-part series looking at the Rambo 1980s trilogy. This one, of course, is Rambo First Blood Part 2. came out in 1985. It is an R-rated film just like the others. It has violence some sexuality in this film and language. The runtime is an hour and 34 minutes. Sylvester Stallone, of course, is the main star. This one brings back Richard Crenna in this supporting role. Charles Napier, Stephen Burkhoff, and Julia Nixon are also in the film. The director here is George P. Cosmatos, and the screenplay credited to Sylvester Stallone and James Cameron. Yes, that James Cameron. Now, Rambo First Blood Part Two. it's one of those movies that really doesn't have a lot going for it these days, except maybe if you want to look at it for the social significance for the time in which it was released, it really tapped this nerve in the mid-1980s. American audiences who gobbled up this revisionist rhetoric, and they clamored for more, including a lot of other movies just like it. Missing in action films, Vietnam experience, all of that was very popular during the 1980s. Now, despite having an R rating, this film would really dominate the box office, especially in its first month of release. It was number one at the box office. It did linger in the top 10 for another two months after that. It racked up a whopping, for its time, $150 million in the United States alone. And then it added to that, it doubled its take with another $150 million from world markets. So that became the second highest box office performer of the year in the United States. And it was a blockbuster year for its star, Sylvester Stallone. Rocky Four came in third place at the box office at the end of the year. And that's not counting all of the additional money that Rambo made in promotional tie-ins. You had trading cards, you had toys, you had games, you had posters, you had all kinds of other merchandise, including the knives and some of the paraphernalia that he uses within the course of this film to kill as many people as possible. Yes, they really sold like nothing else before it. And that was pretty odd, given that the film was not intended for kids to see all of these kid items be red hot at the toy store. Now, in and of itself, Rambo First Blood Part Two is not a movie that should have been a blockbuster. It just happened to tap into this zeitgeist of the Reagan era, and the Reagan era characterized by a disdain for government bureaucracy and a newfound pride in the military, including that feeling that American soldiers should be honored and respected regardless of whatever war that they fought in. It wasn't the soldiers' fault, and that's the main message of Rambo First Blood Part Two. Vietnam, America's freshest and deepest wound, it might seem to heal a little bit with the tagline, This Time We Win. That was a proposition that had a lot of merit to this troubled public who had wanted retribution for the lives that were lost and the government that sent those young men there. The public wanted to root on the disgraced veteran, the one that the American public just a decade before had disgraced. They would get to do so here in the theaters with Rambo as the spokesperson to bring back the respect that these veterans lost 10 years before. 
Now, this story follows the events of First Blood. Here we have John Rambo. He's now in prison for his one-man army heroics against law enforcement in the first film. We also get Colonel Troutman, played by Richard Crenna, approaching Rambo to undergo a covert operation that will presumably save the lives of thousands of POWs still remaining in Southeast Asia, if he can find evidence that they still are being held captive there. Now, Rambo's hired only to take pictures, if you can believe that, but that does not sit well with this disgruntled vet. He uses this opportunity to try to get them out while he can. However, there are corrupt government officials who really do not want Rambo to find any POWs. This would complicate American relations in the area, and when there is irrefutable evidence that's given, the mission ends up getting aborted, and that leaves Rambo all by himself, a one-man against this army of sadistic Vietnamese, as well as, surprise, Soviet military advisors in the area. And that would merge America's former fight with the Vietnamese, with their current enemy of today, the Cold War enemies, the Soviet Union. Now, there's not a lot more to the story than that. Obviously, this is a movie that is mostly built on its action sequences, so not a plot-heavy film. But as far as how this film ended up getting made, you know, we had a big success in 1982 with First Blood that really encouraged its rights holder, Caraco, run by Andrew Vajna and Mario Casar, to get to commissioning a follow-up shortly after. They had money to be made, and it's going to get made. Kevin Jarre took a stab at the first story script, and then it was handed over to James Cameron, not really a name at the time. He proceeded to write the story with the original title of First Blood 2, The Mission. Now, James Cameron would follow in the footsteps of First Blood author David Morrell and First Blood director Ted Kotcheff by being from Canada, despite Rambo's all-American profile. Seems to be kind of a theme going on through these gung-ho American films that I've been talking about on this podcast. They are mostly made not by Americans. James Cameron was suggested to be the screenwriter by David Geiler, who was also a screenwriter and a producer. Geiler had helped the story development for this film, and he also contributed to revisions for First Blood. He was impressed with James Cameron on the strength of reading his script for The Terminator, which had not been made at that time. Cameron had been working on the script simultaneously for First Blood 2 and Aliens, and actually doing a revision on The Terminator. Aliens happened to be co-produced by David Geiler as well. He had different desks in different rooms in order to try to differentiate his mind frame whenever he was working on any one of those scripts. He was waiting several months during this period for Arnold Schwarzenegger to complete his work on Conan the Destroyer before he was going to appear as one of the main stars in The Terminator. Now, James Cameron had much more emphasis on making this a pure action vehicle had a lot more dialogue to it, too, and character touches, including this idea to give Rambo kind of a comic relief, tech-savvy sidekick on his adventure. Vashna and Kassar, like this, they initially thought that John Travolta could fill that role. Now, as with the first entry, Sylvester Stallone, he would end up insisting on heavily revising the script that he was given by himself. He only really retained the basic plot and the action sequences from the James Cameron original. The novelization that was done for this film would experience its own form of extensive rewrites. In his contract, the only person that was allowed to write a novel about Rambo was David Morrell, the original writer of First Blood. The novel, 
He initially declined to come back and write the novelization. The character had become so different from his original novel, especially given that he died at the end of his first book. He didn't think that it was worth coming back for. However, Carol Co. really wanted all marketing tie-ins to help them promote this film. And so they ended up granting David Morrell his request to have a lot of latitude to change things that he wanted from the finished film, and that allowed him to use older versions of the script, including James Cameron's original screenplay, as well as a lot of backstory that he invented for the novel himself. So the book is very different from the film, and the book was a huge bestseller, although most people who probably read the book, as well as saw the movie, were probably very confused. There was a foreword to the book explaining why. Now, after Sylvester Stallone decided to overhaul James Cameron's work, he nixed that buddy movie element. No sidekick. He thought it should only be a solo adventure for Rambo. He injected a lot more of American politics into the motivation for his main character, and he removed nearly all of the attempts at character development for the POWs or any of the other characters in this film, including, you know, James Cameron really gave backstories to a lot of the POWs in order to give Rambo somebody worth saving other than this nebulous prize of just having Americans to save. Stallone also changed the title to Rambo, First Blood Part 2. He thought that this series should start to be named after the main character in order to align with his other big series, Rocky. Now, despite being on board for the novelizations for the second and third Rambo films, David Morrell would end up suing the producers for his share of the profits for both films that he felt he was contractually owed. He claimed that they underrepresented the net take and they did not include the millions that they made in Rambo-related merchandising deals. A lot of other people ended up suing for that very reason too, including Stephen J. Cannell. Most famously, they ended up settling a lot out of court. Now, Sylvester Stallone knew that he'd have to be in the best shape of his life in order to play the role here. He underwent a lot of physical conditioning. He spent four hours a day for about eight months prior to the shoot, including taking archery instruction, SWAT team practice, and survival skills. Although the film is set in Vietnam, for the most part, filming would be done actually almost entirely in Mexico, primarily around the Acapulco area. Initially, it was reported that Sylvester Stallone said that he couldn't deal with the amount and the types of insects that exist in the jungles of Thailand, where Vietnam War movies were often shot at the time. Although Vajna, one of the producers, said it was more of a financial decision than anything else, Stallone did still end up complaining about a very large number of snakes and scorpions that they had to be wary of while they were trying to shoot the jungle scenes. And the shoot was additionally no picnic besides all of those creatures. There was sweltering humidity and days that encroached well into the triple digits in temperature. All of that really drained a lot of the energy from its crew as the shoot progressed. They were deluged by one of the largest storms in years, Hurricane Odile. The storms washed out many of the roads along the way. It required helicopters mostly to get crew and equipment in and out whenever needed. And the resulting mud, though, was, to its benefit, put to good use as camouflage for Rambo in one of its most famous action sequences where he covers himself completely in mud. Now, one final tragedy would also occur that would delay things. One of the special effects consultants, Cliff Winger Jr., ended up dying from an explosive that went off prematurely, and that's why the film is dedicated to Cliff Winger. Now, Rambo First Blood Part Two would be a much larger undertaking than the first effort. It had a $21 million budget this time, 
They needed to use about 3,000 extras to complete the film, and that was particularly a chore because they were shooting in Mexico. They could not find a lot of Asian actors to play various roles as well as the many extras that they wanted to put in the film. One ingenious way that they had, though, was to try to contact Chinese restaurants in the area to get their employees and people that they knew in order to get them into the film playing some of the Vietnamese when the scene was necessary. Now, despite its pro-Vietnam vet stance, some veterans still ended up coming out to protest Rambo for its glamorization of the Vietnam War, as well as the pornographic levels of violence to depict that war. They also felt that shifting the spokesperson role from real-life survivors of the Vietnam War to this cartoonish, fictional He-Man That was hurting their cause, and it was confusing the public as to what the real issues were that they continued to face at that time. In addition, Russian-Americans would also come out against the film because they stated that the movie adds fuel to this very false stereotype that Russians are somehow inherently evil and their tactics are sadistic and inhumane when in war, especially as portrayed by Stephen Burkhoff. He's a British actor, but he also played a similar Russian baddie not long before, two years prior, in Octopussy, the James Bond film. Burkhoff filled in for the originally cast Dolph Lundgren. Lundgren was paid off here because he was also going to star in Rocky IV, and Sylvester Stallone thought he should really play Ivan Drago. Definitely, Rocky IV was much more of the priority here. Vietnamese Americans also protested, as you can imagine, claiming that they were routinely demonized in American action films just like this. The overall negative portrayals throughout this film would also cause the movie to be banned in other parts of the world, including the Soviet Union, naturally, and in a lot of uh, places in Asia, including India, which was a huge film market at the time. Now, clearly, Rambo First Blood Part Two is meant as catharsis for the not-yet-healed psyche of the country torn apart by the war effort in Vietnam. In fact, one of the big quotes of this film is, do we get to win this time? That's what John Rambo says when he's asked to take on the mission to do recon for the remaining POWs kept in Vietnamese activity. Now, this really sets the table for the rest of the movie. Rambo proceeds to eliminate the Vietnamese baddies for the sake of his brothers-in-arms, while also taking on the military bureaucrat in the form of Marshal Murdoch to give one more F.U. to those who sent young men to die without a proper strategy many years before. Rambo here, he's a force of nature. He removes many of the clothes that he wears. He coats himself in mud. He hides in plain sight in the trees. He's really this oiled-up Tarzan. And that's really in contrast to Murdoch, who only sits at a desk in a shirt and tie, and he drinks Coca-Cola, and he complains about the heat and having to be there. In Rambo's world, the American soldiers are the true victims of war. The unholy hell that he unleashes upon those who did harm to them is gratified. It's justified by the bodies left behind. Notable here in the shift is the fact that the first Rocky and the first film in the Rambo series, First Blood, the heroes did not win in the end in either of those films, but they became heroes because of the odds that they undertook. In subsequent films in these series... Their quest is to win, to be the best, to set up bigger and badder enemies to take down completely on their own. When we first met Rambo in First Blood, he was an empty shell of somber melancholy. In Rambo First Blood Part 2, he's a powder keg of anger. He's just waiting for his chance to unleash all of that anger at any and all who have ever wronged him in his life. Now, despite box office success, Rambo First Blood Part 2 was met with poor 
critical reception, although there were a few critics willing to go along with it as an action movie. Siskel and Ebert famously gave it two thumbs up purely as an exciting action movie, despite recognizing it has plenty of flaws. They said it delivered the goods it was trying to deliver, and that's why they're going to recommend it. Nevertheless, it would go on to receive the Golden Raspberry Award, a.k.a. the Razzie, for Worst Picture of 1985. Delone would get for Worst Actor, he would get Worst Screenplay, there were a few other nominations and wins along the way. Stallone himself would go on to state that this is actually his least favorite film in the series. He claimed it is just too cartoonish, despite the fact that it was the most successful among the films and the one that most people associate with Rambo. Now, removing political importance aside... Rambo First Blood Part Two is really actually a mediocre film at best. It is poorly developed. It does have anemic, slogan-pushing dialogue, mostly written by screenwriter Stallone. The direction here by Italian Helmer Cosmatos. Cosmatos was recommended to Stallone by someone close to him that saw and enjoyed his film from 1983 called Unknown Origin. His direction here is serviceable at best, and the dispatching of the villains does end up bordering on the level of high camp. Now, I don't want to blame Cosmatos for this because Stallone is the one reportedly that actually directed Rambo First Blood Part Two in everything but his name. He handed Cosmatos a daily list of things that he wanted to be done so that he could concentrate more on doing other things like working out and training in between the scenes and also coming up with more revisions for the script. Interestingly enough, that would be the same arrangement that Cosmatos would end up having with Kurt Russell, who ended up taking over really the directorial duties for Tombstone in 1993. Cosmatos gets credit for directing that film, even though Kurt Russell really played just as much of a role in directing Tombstone as Stallone does for Rambo First Blood Part Two. Now, wrong turns here are taken... At nearly every step, you have an awkward attempt at romance coming into play, in really in the strangest of environments. Enemies that Rambo faces are nameless fodder for his wrath. POWs have no distinction. They're just this huddled mass there for Rambo to protect and to give him a thumbs up whenever he saves their bacon from the fire. You know, John Rambo was a man who was tired of death, of killing in first blood. That movie had only one person actually dying in the entire film, and it was accidental this decidedly pro-war Rambo, which goes against the grain of the first film, has its main character going on a bloodthirsty rampage of revenge. He lays waste to over 70 targets in some of the most vicious of ways possible. I mean, we learn in this film that Rambo, in the entire Vietnam War, had 59 kills reported. He wastes even more than that just in the few days that he's here in Vietnam now. It was greatly over the top. However, that reputation did get the attention of a renowned anti-communist American president, Ronald Reagan. He loved it. He proclaimed, boy, after seeing Rambo last night, I know what to do the next time this happens. Reagan actually would even take on the name. Instead of Rambo, he was Ronbo. He loved it. Although tagged by a cop as a dirty hippie in the first film, Reagan would proclaim Rambo as a definite Republican by round two. He felt that this was exactly the kind of message he wanted to send about the military and about American might. The redemption for Vietnam soldiers encountered a radical shift throughout the 1980s. They ended up erecting a Vietnam War memorial in the year of First Blood in 1982 and plenty of movies about saving those who were missing in action still or exacting retribution for all American foes the right way with this one-man army representation of the American that cannot be bested physically or mentally in the theater of war. It was red hot at the time. Action junkies 
Yes, they rejoiced at seeing this mindless carnage on display without heavy plotting or a lot of thinking ruining the tempo of those action sequences. But it sure would have been nice had they had a script accompanying this that contained more than five pages of dialogue. I think in an effort to make it more universally appealing around the world, it was successful. But still, I don't think it left real cinema goers who look for good films ecstatic about what they saw. It was really just appealing to a certain feeling that the American public, to have some sort of catharsis for all of these pent-up feelings around the world. It also did well, even though they're not American or really had a lot of skin in the game, because it was purely a really good action film for action fans, and they didn't even have a lot of dialogue. In fact, a lot of the countries ended up changing the mission to whatever it was that would resonate for the public at the time, depending on who was writing the subtitles for the film. Now, so long as you're just wanting a pure action film on a fundamental level, you know, never mind the politics, never mind the fact that it was much more popular than it probably deserved to be. I do think that Rambo First Blood Part 2 does make for a relatively entertaining bad movie, enough to give it a qualified recommendation for certain people. But it really is a stupid movie. In fact, Rambo 2 features the most famous shot of Rambo. He ends up, you see him from behind, he's tying a headband on to his head and he's preparing for battle and I'm guessing the rest of the crew who made this film tied one on as well because big budget filmmaking this dunderheaded could only come as a result of a lack of blood to the brain. So for all of that I, I consider it not a good film. It's not one I could easily recommend unless you're really into action. If you're a Stallone fan obviously you're going to really enjoy this film. If you're into these rah rah let's go America films, America F yeah I should say then probably this is going to appeal to you. But for most people looking for a good film, this is not a good movie at all. So all in all, between the entertainment value that is to be had and my qualitative criteria that I use as a film critic, I can't quite give it the recommendation, but I will say it is a very watchable film, enough to give it two and a half stars out of four. Two and a half stars on my scale means that it had the tools, it had the talent to be something that I could recommend to most people. But what's really here that is missing is a compelling reason other than for visceral entertainment to be involved in the film at all. I don't see any reason why we would really care about the life or death of anybody in this film, including Rambo. I mean, if he died by the end of this film, while I'm sure they would really play up the sadness, it would probably not evoke a lot of tears. This is very much on-the-surface entertainment. Well done in a lot of respects for that, but not very well done in any other respect. So two and a half stars is the best. I can give Rambo First Blood Part 2. So from here, of course, we're going to go into 1987 for the very final film that I'm going to be covering here, even though there are two other Rambo films that have come out over the years, including one that's out in theaters at the time that I'm recording this. Rambo 3 came out in 1987, and boy, do I have a lot of opinions about the politics of that film, especially in hindsight. So I will look forward to talking about all of that on the next episode. So check out Rambo 3 for those of you keeping up with the movies as I go along with them for next week. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. Don't forget if you have anything that you want to say about Rambo, First Blood Part 2, or any other film that I've covered here on this podcast, or there are films that you want to recommend that I get to sometime soon, you can find my contact information at my website, quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. Until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world through Vietnam by way of Mexico in 80s movies. <laughs>